It's back to school time. By the time you are listening to this podcast episode, you might already be back in your classroom or just preparing to get rocking and rolling to go back to your classroom. But no matter what, you are probably thinking a little bit about routines and procedures. So today on the Anacoustic Podcast, episode number 131, we are having our first of what I hope will be many conversations with my good friend, Victoria Bowler, all about opening routines. I'm Ann Molesky, and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anacrusic Podcast. All right, y'all, here we go. Welcome to today's episode of what I am calling Tea with V, V as in Victoria. So this is just a really fun conversation that Victoria and I decided to jump on Zoom and just talk about opening routines and record it for y'all to help give you some ideas for things you can do, you know, in the first weeks of school, but also just generally speaking in your music classroom throughout the year. So I hope that today's conversation is helpful. I hope that it is something that you want to hear more of because I I'm willing to bet that you are going to hear more Victoria on the podcast in these types of conversations. So without further ado, here is my chat with V all about opening routines. And Victoria, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk to you too. Oh my Good. gosh. As if we haven't talked for like how long already <laughs> before we finally been, press record. Right? We've this been is how we roll. yapping. That's right. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, friend? Let's talk about some opening routines, some warm up routines, getting class started. And let's talk about that from the perspective of towards the first part of the year. Yeah, I like it. And just to say that this is not necessarily like a how to open your very first music class ever. It's just some general things that we think about, things we like to talk about when it comes to opening routines um, and, and how you begin music class, because there's probably plenty of people listening who have already started or who are starting tomorrow or starting today, depending on when they're hearing this from us. And, um, it's not too late to (laughs) start doing any of this stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, these are just good ideas. And, and to that point, to that point, people are starting their, you know, K five public school situation, but also we have like community choir starting, We have like our after school choir, our after school band. And so this idea of starting out in a way that is musical and a way that sets the tone for the rest of the rehearsal or the music making space, right? Like we can call it that. It's just a space where we're going to make music together. And as the adults in the room, we get to set that tone, which is a really exciting thing. Yeah, for sure. So Oh my gosh. I never know where exactly to start. So let's start with like the goals of an opening routine or an opening sequence or just the beginning of whatever music making experience you're having. And for me, the, I have two main goals, no matter what it looks like. And it's always to set the tone for, for what I'm doing that day. 
in rehearsal, in class, in whatever, and to start making music right away. So especially if like kids are coming from recess, they're coming from lunch, they're coming from after school dismissal, they've had a whole day of stuff, they're coming into your room for choir, whatever it might be. Um, that's a huge transition point, right? And we know that we lose our kiddos a lot of times in transition. So the sooner we can start the music making, the better. Um, and the sooner you can you can set set them up for success by doing the things that you generally would expect in your music classroom, I think the better. So those are kind of my two big goals for an opening routine or an opening sequence. Yeah. I like that because music is just so drastically different from anything else that they do in their school day. It is so drastically different from anything. I guess the most similar would be uh, PE mm-hmm. or recess. I think those are the only similar off the top of my head, the only similar, uh, environments as far as like the social aspect of it and the role of like student choice and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I completely agree that it's great to have a way to move from sitting at a desk, doing your, whatever you've been memorizing that day, and then say, Hey, this is the time for us to move. This is the time for us to make eye contact and smile. This is a social time. This is a collaborative time. This is a musical time. I like that. Yeah. And in free space too, right? Like that's a huge thing. (laughs) If there's, especially if you don't have desks in your room or chairs set up, you know, I often have, have like sit spots or a rug or something. And so they know where to find their quote unquote spots, but that's kind of a abstract concept when you come into a music room that's set up for music making. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the first thing I have on my list in terms of an opening routine is about the physical space Mm. in the sense that we are here in the classroom and this is what it looks like to be in this music classroom because it's a very different space than your traditional learning environment, unless you're at like a school that does, uh, you know, no assigned seats and it's all flexible and like whatever. Um, But other than that, this is a really, really different situation. And so this is the physical space of the classroom, but also this is the physical space of my body because music learning happens in the body. And so part of the routine is both getting acclimated to the spatial relationships of everything around us, right? Like not tripping over instruments or um, not tripping over each other. Uh, So there's some coordination there, but it's also setting the tone to use your language that we're going to use our bodies. This is a very physical active space. And so we're, we're creating that from, from the very beginning. So I have physical space as my first goal. And then all of this, and we could really use your same language of setting the tone. I want to set up the physical space. I want to set up the emotional space and the social space, and then the musical space and not necessarily in that order, but those are the things that I think I want to make happen in the first little bit. And when I say little bit, this is an interesting question. How long is your opening routine? Go. I feel like so much of this is like this thing, not this thing, not this thing. Like there's so many elements to this and all the little things that you don't really think about. Um, It depends, Victoria, right? Isn't that like the age old answer? Um, It depends because just to be really transparent, like with my K1 pre-K through second grade ish, I generally have like a pretty, not strict, 
but kind of set, I guess, opening routine where the kids know exactly what that sequence is going to look like. And there's going to be a little variation depending on what my learning target is for the day, which is like a whole other, you know, side conversation as well. Um, But with my older kids, it's probably a little different because we usually kind of just jump right in to something that sets up all the spaces like you were talking about, right? Like a familiar activity because they don't necessarily need to sit and like saying echo saying like hello with their name back and forth with me. Um, We do things similarly, like similar types of exercises, but in an older student twist, if you will. So I would say if I have a 25 to 30 minute lesson with my K through two kiddos, it's probably five minutes. If I am doing it with my older kids, it's probably already a pretty meaty part of my lesson. It just so happens to be an activity that is setting up those spaces, like you talked about, kind of that shared space, self-space type thing, the emotional, the the cognitive stuff. Um, but we're already kind of diving right on in to the learning target instead of prepping them up to be ready to do the learning target, if that makes sense. That is probably a really great distinction because I think that, especially if you come from, well, if you come from an ensemble background, which most music teachers do because we went to a university, a conservatory, a master's program, something like that. The opening routine for an ensemble is like sitting down and doing exercises and doing drills. Talk to me. um, And by the way, just, just for colleagues listening, Ann and I have not uh, discussed beforehand what we're talking about. In terms of, <laughs> it's all a surprise. <laughs> in terms of the outline. So um, she's, uh, we're both kind of flying by the seat of our pants in uh, what we hope is going to be a really enjoyable off the cuff conversation. Like we normally have about these topics just with microphones on. Yeah. Exactly. Talk to me about, you know, in a choral warm up. you would have some vocal exercises that you would walk through. What do you, and I know that teachers, especially in, and I'm not boxing people in, especially in like the Kodai Mm -hmm. field, um, in the fire Robin field, uh, same, like a lot of musical learning theory stuff, the vocal development part of it is a really important part of the warmup. What's your, what's your thought on that as far as how much vocal warmup in Oh gosh, I guess like in a traditional sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And it's a tricky thing because, um, I've seen it done a lot of different ways. I've seen folks who are doing more of like a traditional quote unquote, like vocal warm up that you would see in more of a choral inspired classroom. I've seen people do just like echo singing. I've seen teachers do very specific, like melodic reading patterns, whether it's like reading notation, be it formal or iconic, um, or just doing echoing from hand signs or echoing from a body ladder, echoing just on neutral syllables. I mean, like there's a whole huge range of what you put in that category, right? And for me, you know, talking about students, this learning readiness idea in an opening routine, I want them to be using their bodies. Like you mentioned, I want them to be using their bodies as an instrument, both with their voice and with movement. So we're doing stretches, both body and vocal when they come into the classroom. So with my itty bitties, that probably looks like, um, that probably looks like doing like sirens and vocal explorations and that type of stuff. Um, and singing like, hello, Miss Molesky, back and forth, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, with my older kids, again, I think it looks different. I think depending again on what your anchor is for your lesson, um, that will determine whether or not you do like some quick drill work. If you're really working on something where you want them to be able to read this pattern or that, um, that specific element, 
Um, but for me, I think as long as they're coming in and they're singing and they're using their bodies, they have that learning readiness ready to go. Because a lot of times that stuff is going to come later on in the lesson when it's embedded in an activity or in the repertoire that we're using it with. And, and not to say that you can't, I mean, this is just for me, not to say that you can't extract some of those patterns and like have them as the warm up. I think that's a beautiful idea. Um, but for me, a lot of times that comes later, I guess. What about you? Do you always have a vocal warm up? Do you always have like some drills or something that you're doing? I tend to focus more on a rhythmic in terms of like things that stay consistent. K five, mm-hmm. uh, my more consistent, like large part of the warm up is going to be rhythm. And if I, and I definitely do like vocal vocal, um, work as well to get the voice ready because our singing voice in music is going to feel pretty different from our speaking voice. So we want to just, as you say, set the tone for that different area of learning. Um, but I find that if, and this was going to say earlier, I think that it will be really freeing for people. It is freeing for me to hear you say that your fifth grade routine doesn't need to look like your kindergarten routine. And it shouldn't because, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if the whole point is learning readiness and you say, all right, fifth grade, please echo me. Hello, Mrs. (laughs) Bowler. Right. That's not setting up for learning readiness. I wish everyone could have seen your your head nod just now, but anyway, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Like this, this sing song um, approach is not the same in fifth grade as it is with kindergarten. And the way I think about that is in the context of children's musical cultures. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look at uh, a five-year-old playing on the playground, they probably would use their voice a lot. And they do, you know, make up songs. They sing what they're doing. Like they narrate it all the time, whatever, whatever. Fifth graders are more likely to use their bodies in a way that is more rhythmic. It's more mm-hmm. time bound in, in terms of uh, rhythm being the, the durations that happen in time than a younger child would. And so when we think about setting the tone for learning in a way that students will be on board with, I'm more likely to emphasize rhythm with those upper grades. And then when I ask them to use their voice, it will be more in the context of a game. The other thing with upper elementary is I find that singing along with a recording, uh, we can still do echo patterns and reading on the board and solfege work and stuff like that. But if we have some sort of pop backtrack backing track or, or something that's going on, it takes the pressure off of those older students who get really, really nervous about the idea of using their voice and using their voice on cue. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking, so how do you, do you meet your students at the door? Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking, I'm envisioning like if you meet like a K through, you know, second grade, um, class at the door and you're just sitting riding on the railroad, riding on the railroad, right? And they're coming in, they're following you, they're a train, all that good stuff. 
Um, that probably wouldn't fly as well with like fifth or sixth grade, as opposed to like they're walking in and they're lying and they know the game like my mama's calling me and they just know to like get in a ring while they sing. Like that's kind of how I'm envisioning like something starting. So, you know, I don't always to be just very clear, <laughs> very honest, I guess. Um, I don't always, always meet kids at the door. You know, sometimes things happen. There's a teacher who needs to talk to you or whatever. Um, but I think having like a contingency plan where they know where to go, there's something on the board or something that they are like kind of clicks in their brains, like to have that learning readiness again, I think is really, really important, but ideally it's always meeting them at the door. Yeah. That's what we, that's what we plan for. And then the reality is we live in a real world, right? Right. Where you get a phone call. (laughs) or, or someone needs to give you a message or something like that, you know? So if you plan for the routine, then when something happens and you can't be, you know, the facilitator of that experience, then that's a great point for students to show you how well you have taught them. Mm. And it's also a nice way to say, you know, I obviously can trust you guys, uh, next class, I'll just greet you at the door and I'll just stand there and watch you. And we'll have that ownership. Like, I'm not going to lead you in, you know, whether it's a second grade class or fifth grade class or whatever it is. Uh, But yeah, planning for the routine so that when there's a disruption, that routine is still in place. Yeah. So I'm kind of answering the next question I have for you. But so does your routine always look the same? We've already kind of talked about this a little bit with your little ones, with your older ones. Is it always like the same, like like four or five bullet points that you're going to make sure you get to before you get to like the meaty part of your lesson. What do you think? Yeah. So in, in the like big categories, my categories will always be there in the sense of like the physical space, the emotional space, the social space, the musical space. Um, but then, so we've talked about like older elementary versus younger elementary, but my routine also changes throughout the year, mostly in the emotional space and the social space. I'll add the musical space in there as well. Uh, And the big area that it looks different is in improvisation. So improvisation is a big part of my routine. And then how we are improvising, whether it is by ourselves or we're turning to a partner or we're getting in a small group or we're using an instrument or something like that, that is the the thing that's going to change throughout the year, depending on the concept we're working on and depending on what students are ready to do and everything like that. So at the beginning of the year, it's very, very echo. It's very teacher driven. And that makes the first day of school uh, just not as well. It's exciting in other ways, but the first day of school, I just want to like get it over with. And I know that's not a very exciting thing to say, but I do just like want to get through it in the same way that when I write the first sentence in an essay, it's like, we just got to plow through it because the actual, the actual work is coming. Not that the first day of school isn't the actual work, but we're going to move to higher and higher levels of student ownership. And that starts in the warm up. So if I were to do, um, like a clapping a back and forth echo pattern. So I might clap something. And then instead of asking you to echo, I would ask you to put it on body percussion of your choice, but the rhythm is probably going to be the same. And then the next class, I might ask you to change the rhythm and do body percussion. And then the next class, I might ask uh, student volunteers to do their body percussion improvisation. And then 
The next class after that, we might turn to partners and do question and answer like that. And then, you know, and on and on and on and on. So that kind of trajectory of the year is something that changes in addition to like the K5 vertical changes. Yeah. So your warm up, <laughs> your warm ups are following your curricular sequence, right? Like mm. the things that you would expect them to be able to do and like a, like a prepare, present practice kind of thing, or like a, you know, another, another type of, or an imitate continuum. explore. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's really interesting. So like early on, like it's kind of like a, um, copy me, like echo me, like you said, then you move on to like, oh, you can do some of these things where you're still echoing, but you're doing it through a different form of media. And then it moves on to complete student ownership where the students are are starting that imitation and then the other students are copying or doing something different. Yeah. Super right. cool. Yeah. And that's right. a really, really practical place. A really, I would think, comfortable place for folks to start incorporating improv if they're not familiar with it. Just in those simple, like that was kind of like a mini, a mini improv <laughs> a sequence there, right? Just within the context of a short, short warm up within a short, you know, four beat patterns using Ton TT even, right? Yeah. So. And that's and that's the intention is that it's not something. And I and I know that you feel the same way about this. We're not going to have a lesson on how to improvise. We're just going to improvise and we improvise every lesson throughout the year. And I, maybe I should say like, we will make a a musical choice every day throughout the year, whether it is um, change the body percussion or change the levels of body percussion. Like how many levels are you going to do something like that? Um, And, and you can get, this is why I, I really appreciate all of the variety that can happen in a rhythmic warmup. Because you can also be in, you know, non-locomotor, just standing there. But then you could also say, um, move when you improvise, stand still when you listen to someone else improvise, you know, that kind of thing. So there are just lots of opportunities there to set the tone for how divergent students are allowed to be. But it's not just like a cacophony of sound and kids just like improvise for however long they want. And they're just going to keep going and going and going. It's, it's metered. It's still within the parameters that the teacher sets as the boundary. Yeah. It's time bound, right? It's, it's based off of whatever framework or example that you've Mm -hmm. given them. Um, and just simple echoing. Right. 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 Yeah. I love that. I love that. Cause if we're thinking about the learning readiness and you want them to make a musical choice. So if improvisation is musical choice, I want people to know that that's what you said. Cause it's very, very smart because that really is all improvisation is. <laughs> and if you're going to make a musical choice, every lesson, you should provide opportunity for that musical choice, every warm up or every opening routine. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I want to go to your games because that is actually something that I do not do in terms of like, we walk in and start playing a game. We might walk in and start like singing a song, but then that leads into other rhythmic and melodic work. So talk to me about, I want to hear about upper elementary, mm-hmm. your top handful of games that they will like go. And I know it'll no pressure. You're teaching them. <laughs> I know it'll depend on what you're teaching them, but just like for people like me who are like, Oh, fifth graders, like what game I have to do that game. Oh gosh. So anything from Step It Down, right? Um, so like just from the kitchen. The and if people loop. don't know Step It Down. The, the, I can link it the, in the in the thingy Maduder. Yeah. You're talking about a book. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Resource. 
I forget that other people are going to be listening. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a book resource has lots and lots of great, 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 great names that upper elementary loves lots of ring games, lots of, oh gosh, don't ask me that to, to rattle off the categories. Um, but, uh, that's a great one. Uh, anything that is like lots of gross locomotor stuff. So like the stereotypical thing for me is like, if you want to try out having your kids play a game when they walk in, like just start with Alabama gal. They've probably done it in third grade. It's like a, a good old favorite it has lots of syncopat, syncopat all day long. It has the extended pentatone in it. You can, you know, play a round of Alabama gal, stop echoes and patterns back and forth. So, I mean, not to say that like they would come in, they would play the game and then we would go to the next thing. It's much more like, okay, they come in, I'm sitting Alabama gal or the new England dance masters recording to your point is playing so that they can just start, you know, playing. They know exactly what to do. They've learned the game many, many lessons previous. They like here, they're like, Oh, we know exactly what to do. They get in, you know, their long way set with partners and they just start sitting and playing. Then when we're done, we take a peek at the learning target. Maybe we extract some of the patterns from it. And then we transition to what's next. So it's not like, Oh, we're going to play, 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 and not have that moment of like, of like, here's the point of today's lesson. Like there's always a portion where we're referring to the learning target but it's coming from what we've been doing inside of the lesson the minute they walk in the room. Is that helpful? Are you saying that if you do Alabama gal as your opening song, then the learning target is related to some sort of musical content within Alabama gal? If not directly, then something that can be transitioned from it. <laughs> so like if I'm using Alabama gal for low la lo so, right? Come through in a hurry, da 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 la so, right? And that's like one of my practice songs for low so or something, or even just single pa, then I'm gonna use that to transition into another another song later on. So even if it's not directly related, I'm gonna find a way to relate it. <laughs> Right, right, right. right. So would an example of that be, so we're going to sing the song, play the game, and then maybe extract some patterns, and then maybe you change the pattern a little bit, and now it is uh, Big Fat Biscuit or something something along those lines. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so then you're talking about your opening routine, thinking about it as like a big transition in terms of the student's day, but it also serves as a learning transition within the actual uh, within the actual lesson itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, I think that you can easily make that happen no matter what you choose as your opening game. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, I'm not going to have fifth graders come in and play bow, wow, wow, but I could find a way to do some echo patterns based off of bow, wow, wow to translate into, you know, extended pentatone, right. Transition that way. So, I mean, there, there's always a connection point. You just have to work backwards to make that transition happen. But yeah, so the students will, oh, sorry, go ahead. What are you gonna say? I want you to make that transition happen because <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's say you're like, you're going to greet students at the door and you're going to say today, we've got the bow, wow, wow, remix style. And oh I'm going to ask you to walk into bow, wow, wow. And then we're going to do a remix because, because I hear what you're saying about, mm-hmm. we'll take X and you don't have to use bow, wow, wow. And you can use whatever you want, but can you give us an example of 
literally, literally step-by-step. Like if I've never taken a four beat pattern and changed it into something new, like how do I make that magical transformation happen? Okay. Where are we starting and where are we going? Bow, wow, wow. Just bow, wow, wow. Me, Rachel. Where do you want me to go? Like extended pentatone? Yeah. Let's imagine we're doing low law or low so. Okay. So we can go into Alabama gal then. Let's just use the two songs that I I was talking about. And then I'm going to find something for you to do on the spot, Victoria. <laughs> I think you're doing great. And okay. Because, cool. because truly, and like, this is something that sometimes people learn this in undergrad. And yeah. I think probably most of the time they don't. And after this, I also want to hear about a uh, uh, opening routine or a first day of school or something that went wrong. And I have my own thing to share. But you get to start because I'm not thinking okay, about it. Fine. And I'm That's already fine. on the spot. So it's fine. Okay, okay cool. Very so true. here's, um, so me, Rachel, I'm not sitting, I don't have a tuning fork. I don't even know where I am, but that's where we are. Me, Rachel, do, Rachel, do, la, do, 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 la, do, 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 la, do, me, come through in a hurry, come through in a hurry. Yeah. So something like Beautiful. that. And so you could just go back and forth. You know, and it's like, it's like, oh, wait, but how do you do that? And it's like, you just start with do, do, la, do, mi. Well, the mi is a rest and bow, wow, wow, right? If you were to line those up and then make like a huge chart graph thing. And then the more you do it, the more you can just kind of do it like that when Victoria Bowler puts you on the spot to make a transition happen. (laughs) I think that's incredible that you can do that off the top of your head. I think that is a huge skill. Have you always been able to do that without seeing the notation on the board? Mm, not, not like my first couple of years of teaching. Um, I mean, it was writing them out, like practicing, looking at like what songs were, we're like way beyond opening routines, but that's cool. Um, like, uh, like if I have all of my repertoire for my lesson, right. If I have my five ish songs, give or take however many, um, and they're all related to my learning target, regardless of what phase I'm in right? My learning phase, then there's got to be a connecting thread, which is why it's so important to have a learning target, because not only does that inform the repertoire that you're going to choose, it informs your transitions, it informs the rhythmic and melodic exercises you'll be doing in your opening routine and all of that good stuff. So you're saying that you have built a musical context Mm -hmm. based off of your core objectives for the lesson. And so because you know what you're doing in that lesson, it is very easy to take a little pattern and transform it into anything. And at this point, you probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine that you write down your specific transition, like your specific melodic Mm -hmm. changes. You just do it, but it's all because go ahead. Yeah, no, never. Just because, especially if it's like an echo thing, if I'm going to do something more complicated, which don't ask me to make an example of that, but if I, it, like the easiest way, <laughs> the easiest way to do transitions when you're first starting is that transformation, right? And like changing it little by little, just have the students echo you so that they're still in that context and they never notice that it changes into another song until you change into the other song. So yeah, so hundred percent, I think once you, once you're clear on what your objective is, you're clear on your repertoire and you know, your repertoire inside and out, you don't need to look at, you know, some notation in order to sing it. And, you know, like if you had to like put it in stick notation real quick on the board, you could, I think having that kind of knowing about what you're teaching and why allows you to do all those transitions, right? Because you can extract all of those patterns in a meaningful and- way. Right. And so, you know, to your point, this is something that extends beyond the warm up, beyond the opening routine. 
but the opening routine sets the musical tone for the rest of the lesson. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have clarity on what the musical tone is, the actual warm up routine is going to be tricky to throw together. Yeah, because here's the thing. So like take, you know, you mentioned Big Fat Biscuit. So if you're using that um, for a single no, 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 big fat bit come over. Yeah, single bot. Um, <laughs> think about it for a minute. If you're using that for single pot too, and you're also using Alabama Gal in your lesson, um, and it's a single pot lesson, maybe your transitions are going to be clapping patterns with single pot. So in your warm up, to your point, you'll be doing a heck of a lot of echo patterns with single pot or improvisation patterns where students get to do the same thing or do something different, right? Or they're taking the echo pattern and putting it on their body so that they have that embodied music making experience. So when the transitions happen, it's like, oh, we've done this before. It just makes sense. You set that tone, not only for the rhythmic content, not only for the embodied music making, but for everything that's going to happen in your lesson, because everything's going to translate back to or transfer back to the syncopa learning objective, including your transitions. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. I love that. That sounds like a really <laughs> magical way to begin learning. Yeah. I like it. I guess I didn't realize I was, I was doing that, but if I just had a little Victoria Bowler on my shoulder all the time to <laughs> help me identify these things, I mean, I knew I was doing it because everything always relates back to the learning target, right? To your learning objective. Yeah. Right. So, right. Cool. Talk to me about something. Um, I want to jump to, uh, to kind of like mix our verbiage. One of the things that I care about is the emotional space mm-hmm. and the social space. And what I mean by emotional space is when you walk in, especially that very first class, that very first day of music, I am going to be smiling at you and I'm going to make eye contact with you. And that like just having a teacher. And this is why when you asked if I greet students at the door, I was like, Oh yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. Because having a teacher like look at you and smile and make eye contact with you as an eight-year-old, that is dramatically different. Not just as an eight-year-old, gosh, for everyone, that's dramatically different from a teacher sitting at the desk. Oh, yeah. Like, let me finish up this email. You guys come on, come on in. Not that that teacher doesn't care about the students. It's just in terms of the nonverbal communication eye contact and a smile and a song, uh, all of that goes a really long way into helping with that emotional space. And then with the social space, there is going to be an element of classroom management that you kick into gear during the warm-up, during the opening routine, because it is a transition. And so how we correct student behavior in that opening routine matters. So I'm flipping uh, all of this, I would say all this to bring it back around. If someone wants to do an Ann Molesky warmup, what are some things from just like a, a regular Tuesday classroom management standpoint? What are some things that I can watch out for? I let's take, um, let's take that itty bitties routine because that's easier for me to, cause it pretty much stays the same. So my kids come in singing and, um, like a greeting song or a hello song or something. And, um, go to assigned seats to start the class. Very, very rarely are we in assigned seats unless it's at the beginning of class with the opening routine or we're doing some board work, right? I'm doing like a discovery presentation type type deal. Um, but they'll- Do yes. you feel like you have to give like a disclaimer? You're like, they have assigned seats, but it's also a very creative <laughs> and active room, but we have assigned seats, but please don't pin me down as an assigned seats person. I'm not. 
not a sciences person. I'm like, pick a partner. Like I'm also that type of person. Right. But, but again, we're aiding that transition, that big transition into the music room where they have this big open space. They're used to having their confined self space of like a desk and a chair and all that kind of stuff. So when they come in the music room, if they have an assigned seat as itty bitties, I think the older kids can handle it because they've lived in my classroom, ideally a little bit longer. Um, but when the itty bitties come in, just the transition of sitting on a spot in a big open room with a new teacher, as opposed to their desk that they're in most of the day is a huge deal. So I think it's important to start there. So I'm not an assigned seats person, but I am for the beginning of music class. Um, so they come in and do that. And then we do, um, you'd see me saying, I'll stand up, I'll sit down. And then we do some stretches some vocal explorations. And then we go to our learning target. Then we sing some more. Then we go right into a movement warm up. So things like walking to a drum, um, different patterns of walk tiptoe, like doing some, some very clear, um, things that you would see very rhythmically walking. So like walk tiptoe stretch types of patterns, like those basic rhythmic foundations. Um, but so they're going to be using their voice. They're going to be doing walk tiptoe stretch type of stuff, but it's all going to be very clear and very predictable for them. So they know to come to their seats. They know when it's time to stand up. They know when it's time to sit down. They know when it's time to sing and keep a steady beat. Um, they know when I sing, I'll stand up and then start, you know, the Ella Jenkins, I'm going to walk and a walk and a walk and a stop, like almost without fail. That's how I get into the movement portion. Even if that's the only part of that song that I sing. And then I go into patterns, right? So in terms of a classroom management thing, I think that having something like that, that is predictable, that they know that's what it's going to look like, especially for those itty bitties, every time they come in the classroom takes care of a lot of that. Otherwise, and that's why I always start there with the little ones, because otherwise for me and my experience, when I try to start with a completely different activity or I try with a new activity that takes a lot of teacher talk, I'm getting away from, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the purposes of my opening routine. Pardon me. Um, and so I want to set the tone and I want them to be making music. And I know that they know how to do that if I stick to that routine for the itty bitties. And I know that the older kids will know how to do that if I start with a game or a song or an activity that is really, really familiar to them that they they have some ownership over, right? And so and so by having, it's almost kind of like a peer pressure kind of thing, right? Because everybody's doing it because they know what's expected because it's something that we've practiced. And so the first day of school, is a lot, if not exclusively, practicing this opening routine. Tell me about that. The first day of school is exclusively <laughs> practicing. I have a frog in my throat. Excuse me. Is this, when you say that, do you mean that you do the opening routine and then you say, let's go back and we'll do it again? Oh yeah. We and then you do it a third time. Yeah. We practice it because the first time kids here all stand up, half of them stand up, but the rest of them don't. Right. So, I mean, it's all of that. It's practicing that. And then where's your spot? And it's like, here's, well, first of all, we have to assign seats the first day, you know, if they're little, they don't the even know their name. Three months. <laughs> exactly. Three months. So, is just like, no, that's not your spot. No. But what we do be is we go ahead and they find their assigned, their assigned seats. And then it's like, okay, go back to the door. And then it's like, find your, find your seats in five. Four, three, two, one, and you're done, right? 
okay, do it again. And it's practicing that. And then it's like, okay, now let's go to the next part. And so maybe I have a chart, maybe I have like a visual schedule or I just write it with a dry erase marker. Cause let's be real of the types of things that are in our predictable routine. And then again, hopefully if we have the um, retention with our kids and we're at a, a building, the older kids will just know what it means to be having that control in self-space and shared space. And so doing like a game or like talking about where the learning target is and stuff, they kind of know how things work in the classroom. Um, And if not, then we practice that. And maybe it's practicing with like rain around the rosy, you know, if they, if they all know that from (laughs) however many years ago, if they're older kids or just, just trying to get those procedures in place so that we don't have to deal with those classroom management issues later on. And the nice thing about having these different components in the opening routine is you're dealing with standing up, sitting down. You're dealing with going to your assigned seats. You're dealing with doing some movement. You're, de- you're dealing with all of these different types of activities and the transitions between them within the context of the warm-up. So they practice those transitions as soon as they've started class. And then they go into like, again, I keep calling it the meat of the music lesson, but it looks very, very similar. The nuts and bolts of how we move around the music space, the nuts and bolts of how we move from activity to activity are, if not the exact same, very, very similar. I love that. So if we talk about in music, music being uh, a, a pleasant combination of repetition and novelty, that is reflected in a warm-up routine yes. as far as, you know, the, and, and especially, and like you're talking about a lot of repetition for the youngest musical learners, which just developmentally makes a lot of sense to have something that is predictable every single time, because those young students really, really thrive off of predictability. Like I want to know what's happening next, especially for, and, you know, bringing it back on the first day of school, especially for those very young students with a lot of anxiety about going to school at all. And then you get introduced and like, this is your teacher and this is your desk. Oh, this is another teacher. There are no desks. You like, it's totally wide open and you don't know anyone's name in your class and you don't know the teacher's name. And even though you said your name, I've forgotten because I'm five and there's just too much going on. Right. So the amount of overload that we ask five-year-olds to hang with us through is really astounding. And so I think that your practice of doing the opening routine over and over so that those students have, again, like if we want to link our verbiage in terms of having a safe social space and a safe emotional space, that's what you're doing, even though you might not necessarily frame it that way. It's the, that's the function that it serves. Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, my observations of kids walking into their grade level classroom at the beginning of the day, they always do the same thing, right? They paint up their backpacks, they go get their morning work or whatever routine their teacher has set up, and they know what to do their entry task, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever language the teacher decides to use. And they go there every single day. And they still do that every single day. They come to us maybe once a week twice a week if you're lucky, you know. Um, And so to not have something that's aiding that huge transition, especially for those little kids, especially if you see them like at the end of the day and they're tired, you know, like all of that kind of junk and like whatever has happened 
during the day at recess, at lunch, at home before they came to school, you know, what's going to happen when they go home. Like there's lots of things on their little brains. So if you can do something to just kind of set that stage, set the tone and keep seeing it over and over again, that kind of refocuses them so that whatever happened outside of the music room isn't an issue anymore because now we're here and this is what we're doing and this is what we always do. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of safety in that. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying. So. Yeah. So it's the foundation. It's the foundation of safety so that you can ask them to take risks later in class, because you are going to ask them to take risks in terms of creative movement. If we want to just stick with those, let's just say kindergarten, we're going to ask for risks in the term, in terms of creative movement and solo singing and all of these musical tasks that we do. And so having that routine, even though I guess I'm thinking about a music teacher And I understand this perspective, a music teacher who's like, music is a creative space and I want it to be a surprise about what's going to happen in here. And I want to take the time to just like talk about their day and, and everything like that. And, uh, again, I, I absolutely understand that perspective. I would, I would, yes. And that this foundational safety, um, floor is really important for all of the other creative, divergent, uh, social, um, emotional, everything else that we do in the rest of the lesson. Yeah. And there's ways to, and I get that too, you know, wanting to develop those relationships and you have 500 kids or more in a building and you see them once a week and all that kind of stuff. And you know, the, the, age old answer is like, oh, well, let's do that. Like during your duty or like hop out there during your plan. And that's great. But you also want to do it in a musical context too. So that's where I think sometimes this idea that you're a musical choice and the improvisation, I mean, there's ways you could build that in. Um, I mean, shoot, like have them like, what's your favorite color? It is blue. I mean, just like silly little things that are silly, maybe, but also like give you an insight to how your kid's going to react, gives you insight into how, what, what they do like favorite pet, favorite food, you know, like, I mean, that's like a very, very basic example, but there's ways that you could build that in if it's really, really important to you in a musical way. And, you know, the fact that we see our kids so rarely we want to build that personal connection, but I think we have to build it within the context of the musical community that we're building. And so, you know, a lot of what warm up looks like is going to be teacher led because exactly what you said, so many of those risks are going to happen later. And then you get to know your kids and get to know them in this musical context which is going to allow you to do your job to make them better musicians, better people in the time that you have. Right. Yeah. So, so I get that. But the other thing I would add to your point is this is a long game mm. as if, if you have a student population that you can expect to see from kindergarten to fifth grade. And I understand like no school population has the exact same student group. That's 100% not realistic. But even if there is a possibility of having students at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year, which again, I just want to acknowledge, I know that not every teaching scenario has that stability, even within a one year timeframe. But even if you just have one year with these students, that is, you know, however, you know, 30 something lessons. So you have 30 something touch points to get to know these students over the course of the year. So it doesn't need to be, not every single lesson needs to be like, sit down. I really want to get to know you guys. Like I care about the social and emotional environment here. So let's talk about you, right? We're going to embed those things in 
how we approach the learning space. Okay. I have not always had an opening routine. One of my very first, yeah. One of my (laughs) (laughs) true confessions. (laughs) Yeah. One of my very first teaching, um, gigs was when I was in my undergrad, I was in charge of the university children's choir. And I did not realize that little kids can't read and they can't (laughs) read like easy words, like easy words. And if you ask them to spell their name, they can make shapes in like abstract shapes that are in a general letter of their name. Right. But like the E is going to take up the whole page. And then the rest of it is just like a scribble. Right. But I wanted to get to know them because, and I also knew that they didn't know each other. And so I wanted to do an activity where they each had worksheets. They had worksheets and and they would walk around. <laughs> You're like, did you hear me? They had worksheets. <laughs> and my friends, if I say I gave worksheets on the first day, but they would walk around and like read on the worksheet, um, find someone who has a sister. You find gave them someone. a teacher icebreaker. For I gave them school. <laughs> I gave them a teacher icebreaker for the first day of school. Do you think it went well, Anne? <laughs> it did not. Oh, and I had, uh, since it was like an after school, it was like a community thing, right? At like the local university. So I had like parents looking in the window and these are just chaos. Like it's total, complete chaos. And so finally I was like, raise your hand if you like Oreos. Wow. <laughs> Look how many of us like Oreos. We have so much in common. Who has I'm a dying. dog? <laughs> it was, it was nonsense. It was garbage. And I, I should have it. known better. I should have known better. Like it, even if you are uh, like a 19 year old should know that no. very young kids can't read. And so that to say, that is not the tone that I want in any learning space. And so I only had to do that once before I was like, got it. Now I know what kids are. I will not do that. <laughs> I know how they work. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite thing. Oh my gosh. Who likes Oreos? I was like, love does anyone have a dog? <laughs> okay. Wow. We have so much in common. And the kids were like, no, <laughs> we don't. We don't trust you anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. The well, I don't have I don't have a story that can top that. I don't. I just have stories of kindergartners not knowing their names and then inevitably like always one has an accident the first day in the music room. So it's just like there it is, right? What is with that? What but do you think is with that? I, I think it's like having a toddler myself. I think but- it's like they're just so overwhelmed and excited and it's like they forget that they have to go until it's too late. I really think that's what it is because I know like, not from personal, personal experience, <laughs> but from um, my now newly minted four-year-olds experiences. But I think that's just little kids. Right. And you know, what's great about that though, is like, if it happens before they come to the music room and you're like, Oh, I see so-and-so didn't come to the first day of school. They're like, Oh no, he did. He just had an accident. He's at the nurse. Like that's just life we got you. We all like Oreos. We all have accidents. Some of us have a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that's good. So cool. I don't know. 
Is there anything else you want to say about opening your teens or Oreos or (laughs) (laughs) my deep, dark secrets from my undergrad days? Oh my gosh. Um, I like this. I like this conversation, um, in that it's general and I, and that's on purpose because not every routine should look the same. And depending on how long you've seen your students and depending on their age, um, emotionally and developmentally, um, there are changes that we're going to make. So I like this framing. Give me your two things. One was the tone. And then they need to make music right away. And you know, the thing is, is that I think that it's important to, for me, I think it's important when I talk to other teachers to say that those are the goals, because for some, some folks having a routine, like very regimented, we come in, we say hello, we say our rhythm exercise, you know, having that gives them that sense of security or something that the students know that they need to do each and every time. And it could even be student led, gives them the opportunity to take attendance. Like I know some people have to do that. And so, you know, there's all of these different moving pieces, depending on your teaching style, what your campus requires, um, you know, just a ton of different stuff that's going to dictate what is feasible for you in an opening routine. But I think if you can center in on setting the tone um, for what you're doing that day in terms of the types of music making, um, what your learning target is, and then get them making music right away is just so, so important. So I think if we can do those two things, no matter what it looks like in your classroom on whatever day, that's great. You know? Right. Right. You are not saying that uh, to be a good music teacher, you need to follow these six steps of the perfect opening routine. You are saying to be an intentional music teacher, you need to have a core, uh, you need to have a grasp on your values Mm -hmm. and find a way to live those values every single moment that you can with your students and let them know that music is a really special place that we are going to have a lot of fun in and make a lot of music together and have a, a fabulous time. But it's not, these are the six steps to an opening routine. No, because there's a million different templates like that out there. I know you have one. I know I have one. Like there's there's those out there for, you know, people who want to try, have a starting place because it's important to have a starting place. So if you want a starting place, then sure, like greeting song, um, rhythmic warm up, melodic warm up, movement warm up transition into activity. There's your, there's your template for an opening routine, right? Like, or any, any number of those types of things or vocal exploration, stretches, movement, go into your next Mm -hmm. activity, like read the learning target. Like you can come up with those steps in any, any formula that fits for you. But if they are having, using their voice, moving their body, knowing what the intention is for that day, then I think it's a a successful opening routine. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. You brought it home. That was great. That was perfect. All right. And this has been a lot of fun. It has been a it's lot nice, of fun. Uh, it's nice to talk to you without being like constantly uh, like interrupted by random life things. This is probably the longest like single period of time we've talked in a long time. Yeah. Without like passing outlines back and forth and <laughs> all that kind of stuff too. That's right. I know it's good. I think let us know those of you who are listening, what you think, if you like this, I think I can comfortably say that we'll do these more. If people want to hear us kind of talk and, and be honest about, about what it's like to, to do different things in the, in the general music classroom. I mean, this is just like 
the tip of the iceberg, as you could obviously tell, because we ended up going off onto transitions and all kinds of other things. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Lots of good stuff. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, B. Thanks for listening to the Anna Krusik podcast. For more details and information from this episode, check out the show notes on annemaleski.com. While you're there, head on over to the free Anna Krusik community where you can collaborate with me and other teacher musicians. If you love the tips in today's episode, don't forget to share with your music teacher pals and tag me on Instagram or Facebook. And if today was one of your favorite episodes, I'd so appreciate it if you'd leave a review. The Anna Krusik Podcast is a proud member of the Music Teacher Development Podcast Network. The Muted Network provides support in the form of audio on-demand programming designed by and for music educators. You can find more information about our network at mutedpodcast.com. Thank you.